toward unity. So um, this doesn't mean that any of us will be perfect at these. Uh, it doesn't mean that we've arrived in any way, shape, or form. It, it means that we're working on these. We're aware of these, and we're striving for these in our midst. So uh, we just said at the beginning of uh, July, as we grow in our trust in the Lord, that's where it all starts. <clears throat> that if we trust in the Lord, if we continually, in an ongoing fashion, place our trust in the Lord, then we'll see that we grow to be more trustworthy. Because as we trust in the Lord, we become more like Christ, who is ultimately trustworthy. And we become more trustworthy and trusting of one another. And so uh, we really want to use that lens as we just look at, uh, we looked at Proverbs 3 as we go through Colossians 3. We want to use that lens of how is this encouraging us to trust in the Lord? And then how does that bear itself out, flesh itself out in our lives? So this was our outline that I showed you last week for Colossians 3. So last week we were in verses 1 to 7, and we just said a a sharp focus builds trust. So we focused on faith, and we uh, focused on our attitudes and our affections and our life, and and we just said, okay, a sharp focus on those things from Christ's perspective uh, will build trust, and we came out of there with two building blocks of trust if we just uh, remind each other of those things and repent. Uh, we can grow in trust. Today we'll be in verses 8 to 15. Uh, we'll grab a couple of things from uh, the previous verses that'll connect it. And then next week we're just going to build our service. Next week's our family fellowship service. We'll just build our service around the idea that true worship builds trust. That as we come into this place together, this is actually something that we're doing to build trust with one another. And uh, it's an important part of that. So last week as we began Colossians 3, I just kind of framed it around the idea of the middle voice in the Greek language. So if you're a Greek scholar, which I am not, um, you, you can say you're way off on this. Or you can go, okay, I get it. But for me, it's helpful to think about active voice. That's something that you initiate. Or passive voice, it's somebody, something that gets initiated to you. It's something you receive. But middle voice is actively participating in the results of an action that was initiated by somebody else. It's actively participating. So somebody does something, it has results, and then you participate in that. And so we looked at... You know, holiness. Holiness is done for us in Christ, but we participate in that in how we live. Unity, it's done for us in the Trinity, and yet we have a role to play together as we build toward unity. And so trust is, is the same thing. Building trust is this, this thing that God has done. God in and of himself is trustworthy. We can trust the Lord. He's proven himself faithful. He's proven himself consistent. Since the beginning of time, we can trust him with our lives. And as we trust him, we become more aware of who he is and who we are. And so that's why last week we said those two building blocks are reminding each other. That's actively participating in something God's already done. Because sometimes I think we go, well, God's done that, and I don't really know how to actively participate in that. The way we can actively participate in what Christ has done in our lives is to remind one another of its truth. To say, this is who Christ has made you. This is what Christ is doing in you. This is what Christ says about you. To remind each other 
is to actively participate in what Christ has done. And then repenting, that's something we can do. That's something that we get to actively participate in, to realize that we've strayed from the path and just to turn around and go, okay, God, I'm sorry, I blew it again. Friend, fellow member, person I love, I'm sorry I did it again, to repent, to turn around, to change direction. That's something that we can actively do. Now, to be about those things requires some other things, and so that's why uh, Paul moves on to say, okay, if you're going to actively remind each other of who you are in Christ, you, are in Christ you actually have to embrace who you are in Christ. And so today we're going to get two, two more blocks that we can build with to embrace who you are in Christ and to live that out, to embrace and to live our identity in Christ. To remind one another, we have to know that that's true. We have to accept that it's true, that we have to bring it in close as true. And and then there's some things that we can do in order to live that out with one another. And so we'll, we'll have these four building blocks by the end of today just to remind, repent, embrace, and live out. And I know that some of us find little children's blocks hard to relate to. I used it because, um, you know, for children, they're not that easy to stack up. You know, there's balance involved. And you go, for me, it's a piece of cake. I know, you've been doing it a while. Isn't that like the Christian life? Like, Like when we get started in the Christian life, it's hard to stack these blocks on top of each other. But as you practice that, as you live that out, as you mature in your faith, it gets easier. But they're easy to knock down still, right? So trust is, is hard to build, though we can practice it. We can get better at building trust, but it's easy to knock down. So that was the building blocks metaphor. Today, Paul introduces a, a little different metaphor. Uh, he introduces the metaphor of clothing. And, and so um, who, who likes new clothes? Okay, and men, you're not out of the loop, okay? I know men that like new clothes. And so maybe it's not a rack like this that has a bunch of pink on it. Maybe it's like a picture like this that, uh, you know, just uh, a little bit more manly and we like to accessorize and we like, you know, we, we like our cologne. And um, so we're not, we're not excluded from this, men. All right. When we talk about clothes, even if it's work clothes, you know, you, you get done at your grimy job and you're like, man, I've had these work clothes for a month and they're just torn asunder. They're stained. They're yucky. I need new work clothes. So, man, it, it, it applies to you too. So, here's what I want to ask. If I were to give you $500 this morning and said you had to spend it on clothes for yourself, how exciting would that be? Okay. All right, some of you are like, yeah, I could do that. I could do that this afternoon. So, so we'd go out, we'd find what we like, okay? And what, whatever you like, you can get. It's all up to you. And you'd bring those bags home. You'd get them out of the car. And I know 500 bucks doesn't go as far as it used to with clothing, but maybe you'd have a bag anyways, and you'd bring it home. And, you know, some of you have figured it out. You'd go to the thrift store. You'd find the best deals at the thrift store. You'd bring bags and bags home. And that'd be exciting. But what if you just put those clothes in the closet and you never wore them? <clears throat> What's the point? No, when I get new clothes, I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing that. I'm wearing that tomorrow. Now, now, what if I gave you more than 
What if I gave you a, a whole stack of $100 bills and said, hey, you got to just go buy clothes for yourself. You can't pay bills with this. You can't pay your mortgage with this. You can't buy off your friends with this. You can't spend this on a nice dinner. It's just on clothes. I know that in my house, <clears throat> there's, there's this ongoing conversation of, hey, you know what? I'd like to just throw away my whole closet and start over. You know, wouldn't that be nice? Man, I've had some things in my closet for a long time. I just want to take the whole pile. Don't want to think about it. I want to just chuck it. Man, with this stack of money, you could do that. You could come home with a whole closet full of clothes. You could put it in. You got shoes. You got the works. It's all there. But what if you put those clothes in the closet just like that? You spent all this money. You never wore them. Well, first of all, you threw all your old clothes away, so you're running around naked. And that would be bad, so don't do that. But Jesus Christ bought you some new clothes. So how much more important is it to realize that Jesus Christ laid down his life so that you could have some new clothes? So that you could look amazing. It's way more than 500 bucks. It's way more than a stack of Benjamins. He laid down his life So that you have new clothes. You have a new sense of being. Through faith in Him, you've been completely changed. But so often, I think we put those clothes in the closet, we never wear them. We never put them on. And so Paul says, all right, we got to think about these new clothes. And they are amazing clothes. And he comes to Colossians 3, verse 8. We're going to skip two slides there, Gene. We're going to go to Colossians 8. Here's what he says. But you, but now you must put them all away. All right, so he starts with, hey, it's time to clean out the closet. Okay, he talked about in the previous verses the things that we tend to look to to identify ourselves, to find relief, to find comfort, those things which are sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. All of that is idolatry. What all of those try to do is replace God on the throne of your life. It's what Mark just said. The jungle is out to get you. Okay, this world is out to get you. This world is hell-bent, literally hell-bent, to keep you from seeing Jesus and from putting him on the throne of your life. It will do everything it can to thwart that. It's all idolatry because it shifts our focus or it takes Jesus off the throne. And so Paul says, hey, you got to put that away. But now he builds out his list. He says, but now you must put them all away. That word all simply means what you think it means. Everything. You got to put it all away. But he's not just talking about those things that we might pursue for identity or comfort or relief or significance. He's talking now about what starts to happen on the inside when those attempts are thwarted. So when we are pursuing other things than Christ... When we look to sexual immorality or impurity or passion or evil of all kinds, when we look to that to fill us up and something gets in the way of that, oh, I don't know what happens in your heart, but when I'm in that place, some some bad things happen in my heart. 
No, those are the days where I go, yeah, I want to just pull out that old crusty sweatshirt that I've hung on to, and I want to put that on because it's comfortable. I, I want to take out some old clothes, and I want to put on some old clothes because I'm feeling angry, or I'm feeling hurt, or I'm feeling offended because what I was pursuing, somebody got in the way of that. Something got in the way of that. And Paul goes, okay, let's put it all away. Let's take out your closet, the whole closet, and let's throw it in the garbage because Jesus has given you a whole new wardrobe. So he goes, hey, um, how, how about we take out anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth? Let's, let's take out those things. Let's change out of those things. Because true change builds trust. So let's change out of anger. This is a really interesting word to me because I think our minds go to us getting angry because we've been offended. But this word is most commonly used for God's anger or wrath against sin. It's righteous anger. It's righteous indignation. It's being angry for the right reasons. And yet Paul says, hey, you know what? You need to put that away. You need to put that away. And putting that away is putting away your right to get even. Okay, when, when you're offended and that other person is clearly in the wrong, you have a justifiable right to get even. That's anger. And Paul says, hey, let, let's just put that away. Now, he, he gives us a good why in the previous couple of verses. Re- remember when we read in verse 6 that God's wrath is coming? Not only does that motivate us to repentance, but it also motivates us to be able to put away our own anger because God says, hey, you don't need to take revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'm going to make it all right. And if we believe that, and we, if we embrace that our identity as children of God means that God is going to deal with stuff, we can give up our right to get even. We can say, I'm, I'm going to put that anger away. It might even be justified. I might even be right in my anger, but I'm going to put it away because I trust that God is going to make it right for me. Now, we're not always that um, positive about our anger. We're not always in the right in our anger. That's where wrath comes in, this next word. The word in the Greek is completely different, and it's most often used about man's wrath toward man or about Satan's wrath about God's judgment. Do you know that Satan gets mad at God? Okay, maybe that's not surprising to you, but that's the word here, that, that kind of anger that that Satan, even though God is holy and in the right, Satan continues to shake his fist at God. This is most often our typical, our natural response to being offended, to being wronged. We just get mad. And Paul says, put that away. Change out of that. So whether your anger is right rightly motivated, justifiable, or whether your anger is wrong, it's just you're mad, Paul says, hey, put that away. Put it away, especially among God's people. Now, those two forms of anger 
they stir up in us malice. Malice is an attitude when you're offended. Malice is that simmering angst when you're angry. Malice is hanging on to bitterness. Malice is crafting the ways that you might get back at this person. Malice is crafting the words that you might say to this person. Malice is thinking about how you could get even. Malice can even be passive. Malice is avoiding that person because you know that something has to be dealt with. Malice is an attitude of self-protection in the worst way possible. Now, I I want you to notice that that this list is all self-centered. I want you to notice that this this anger or wrath or malice, it's all centered on yourself, and we're going to see a contrast in just a minute. But if you're living in malice, what often happens, what usually happens, whether it's in your mind or out of your mouth, is slander. So anger flows into malice. It shifts our attitudes towards other people. And malice eventually has to go somewhere. It does. It has to come out. And so whether it's in your head or with your trusted friend or right in somebody's face, we often say harsh words meant to tear people down. Slander is your words that you use most of the time when you're hurt. When you've been hurt and you just react... Often those are slanderous words. They're words that are meant to tear someone down, to bring someone down to the level you think they should be at. And Paul says, put that away. And then it's interesting to me that he he throws on and obscene talk. And I I thought about this because it it really means just foul language or crude language or rude language. It's, um, It's swearing. It's bad jokes. It's Uh, It's language that our culture readily embraces, which I went, wow. I I think that obscene talk, foul language in general, it's an incubator for all these other things. You you know what an incubator is, right? Uh, In the fourth grade, um, we, we had an incubator. We had chicks and eggs, and we had this little incubator, and it had a heat lamp, and it was helping these eggs to mature so that they would hatch into chicks. And one day, we came in. It was after the weekend, and the janitor had accidentally unplugged the incubator. All right, kids cried that day. It was bad news. Okay, so an incubator is meant to keep some things alive, okay? It's meant to keep this environment where these things can happen. But we don't want these bad things to happen. But foul language in general is this incubator for anger, wrath, malice, slander. You know, I've wrestled with language because it really has become very cultural. Okay, foul language is everywhere. Um, I, I, I was a Kids Hope mentor uh, last year, and my kid had, I couldn't believe the language he had. That's just what he's growing up in. But that's this incubator for these, these attitudes of anger and wrath and malice and slander. And I just think the best argument for not using those words is because we don't want to keep an environment where these things can live. And so, so maybe you've just fallen into using that language. Maybe you're in a workplace that uses that language. I, I just want to encourage you, even challenge you, to think about that's incubating all of this other stuff that Paul says, put it away. 
put it away. I, I'm not going to make a judgment call on, you know, are those words, you know, bad? Do they have specific meaning that's bad? I mean, even the meaning of some of those words is so twisted in our culture now. But I will say they keep this stuff alive. Anger, wrath, malice, slander. And I think it's one of the reasons our culture is so easily offended because obscene language is so readily accepted. So I just encourage you, be different. Clean that out of your closet. All right, so we're changing out of these things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. But he goes on. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. This word lie can be translated two two ways. Lie as in to tell a lie or false, to be false about something. Now, the word is used in the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were uh, these church folk, and the apostles were calling for an offering to be used uh, in benevolent ways to to really help out poor people. And um, they sold a piece of land, and they came, and they lied about what they were giving because they, they wanted to look better than they were. They were being false before the Lord. Now, um, the apostles, they, they didn't really have any way of knowing But they just ask some questions, and all of a sudden, God knocks Ananias down dead. And they're like, oh, something's up here. And so they call in Sapphira, and she holds to the party line. She's false before the Lord. Here's the thing. God knows us. God knows everything about us. And and so oftentimes, when I get new clothes, they're the clothes I wear on Sunday. And, And I think for many of us, the, the clothes that Jesus has given us, they're the clothes that we pull out of the, the closet on Sunday. And we come in, and, and we wear our clothes on Sunday, and we look good on Sunday, and then we go out, and we put on our old clothes, and we live life the old way. Um, uh, this, this sentence, do not, do not lie, it, it's saying don't be false before the Lord. The Lord knows. And so don't be false. But it also means don't lie to each other. Let, let, let's not tell lies to each other. Now, here, here's what I'm so thankful of, because I'm, I'm guilty, okay? I've lied to people. I learned how to lie really well growing up, because I, I took out those clothes most of the time on Sunday. I was a good church kid. My parents can attest to that, but I lied to my parents. Sorry. Sorry, I lied to you. Yeah, they know that. I've lied to some of you. See, see, lying for me is like one of those old sweatshirts. It's like, oh, oh, oh I'm, in a, I'm in a tough spot, and I've, I've lied to get out of tough spots. Okay, I'm not proud of that. Okay, I, I want to remind myself of who I am in Christ. I want to repent of that. I believe I have in those situations to God and to people. But those are the things that break down trust. And so Paul just goes, hey, don't lie. Don't be a liar. Speak the truth to one another. Why? Because we've put off this old stuff and we've put on the new. We have this great set of new clothes, so wear it. But some days that's, that's just hard to embrace, right? Because we know ourselves. And the pull of the world is hard. And so, you know, oftentimes in our closets, somewhere in the back, there's still that piece of clothing. 
And so we need to remind each other, hey, that's not who you are. Why are you, why are you wearing that sweatshirt again? Take it off, man. And, and we do that in certain ways that Paul's going to get to in just a second. But, but we remind each other. We repent. I, I love that Paul in verse 7 reminds us, hey, we've all walked in this. I am not the only liar in this room. I can guarantee it. If I give you probably 30 seconds, you can think of a time you've been angry or wrathful or malicious or slanderous or you've used obscene talk or maybe you've lied. We're all in that boat because we're all sinners. And and that's so important for us to embrace as well, that we're all sinners here. Not one of us has arrived to perfection yet. We all still wrestle with what's in the back of our closet. Even though we've all been given these new clothes in Christ, we all still wrestle. And and so it it should inform how we treat each other in light of this. So he says, hey, um, why does this matter? He says, because here is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and in all. Why, why do we want to put this stuff off? For the sake of unity. Be, be, because we're not these different things. These are like polar opposites in his description. And, and they're talking about some bad people in this description. He goes, but you're not that anymore. I want to remind you that you're all, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust and hope and sufficiency in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, then you're in Christ. So why do we put this off? Because our unity matters. Because our unity is the most vivid display of God's glory in our midst. They'll know that you follow me because you love each other. They'll they'll know that I am the Lord because you're unified. Because I've done something that is impossible in this world. I've brought you to a place where you love one another. Unity is on the line. So we put off, we change out of these old clothes. We embrace and live out our identity in Christ, which means that we need to change into because God doesn't leave us naked. Okay, God does not leave us naked. He doesn't leave us hanging out in the wind. He doesn't leave us on our own to figure it out. If he's going to ask us to put something off, he's going to give us something to put on, and we can actively participate in that. So he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Isn't that good news? Put on then, here's your clothes because you're holy. That means without spot, without blemish. That means you have been set apart for special purposes. That means he sees you in light of Christ's righteousness. You are holy and dearly, dearly loved. So, so put on then, remembering I'm holy. I got I to gotta have clothes that match that. I'm loved. I, I get clothes that match that. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now, what I want you to notice here is that all of these are others-focused. 
where, where the first list is all self-focused, it's all about me, this is all about other people. And you'll see these exemplified in the life of Christ. If you just do a needle drop in the Gospels, whether Jesus is caring for children or healing a blind man or teaching the crowds or even rebuking the Pharisees, you will see these character traits in him. This is Christ in us. This is an overlay and an overlap of the fruits of the Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Because the Holy Spirit is forming us into the image of Christ to the glory of God. So we have compassion, the concern of Christ for others. Man, even for the rebellious Pharisees, he had concern. He wept over them because they were missing it. That's compassion. Kindness is the quality of Christ no matter what. This quality or essence of Christ, everything that Jesus did was born out of kindness. It it was the filter of his whole life, friendship, generosity, care, humility. It, It was the attitude of Christ in every situation. Even when he leaves the throne room of heaven to take on flesh, it says, okay, I'll give that up because humility is my attitude. It's understanding. It's our attitude about ourselves in relation to Christ, first and foremost, and then to others. Meekness, I I really like this word. It's so misunderstood. Meekness literally means power under control. This is the power of God in us under control. We see that in Jesus, don't we? What could have Jesus done? He could have called thousands of angels from heaven to fight for him. He could have have taken life as easily as he gave life. Somebody gets in his way, he could have gone, you know what, get out of my way. And he could have just jettisoned them, you know, to another part of the universe. That's, That's the power of Christ but it's under control. It's meek. He goes, I'm not going to do that. It's under control. And that's the power in us. Paul says it in so many places that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are filled, indwelt with the Spirit of God. The very power of God is in us. Man, Jesus sends out the disciples. They get a taste of that. They're like, "Woo! life is going to be good now. And he's like, no, 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 under control. Under control. Meekness. Patience. The commitment of Christ over time. Man, Jesus has the long view in mind. And isn't that so good for us? And think about it, if God's patience had a limit and it was right there and you crossed the line, boop. But his patience knows no limits. He knows you. He knows right where you're at. He knows every thought you have, every word you think or speak. He knows everything you've done in the last week. And he's patient. He goes, hey, you know what? I began a good work in you and I'm going to bring it to completion. I'm in it for the long haul. Here we go. Justification, sanctification, soon to be glorification. Isn't that a beautiful picture of patience all along the way? Patience. 
the commitment of Christ over time. And Paul says, hey, those are the clothes that are in your closet. You you have these at your disposal. They're hanging right there. All you got to do is you got to take it out of the closet and put it on. You got to change your clothes. And so this is a reality. This is a result of what Christ has done that we can actively participate in through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can actually make a choice to be compassionate. We can actually make a choice to be kind. We can actually make a choice to be meek and patient and humble. Those are choices we can make empowered by the Holy Spirit. We can actively participate in what Christ has already done. He goes on, he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive if, if putting on those new clothes seems hard, you go, I'm not really sure how to actively participate <clears throat> with what Christ has done. <clears throat> I'm not exactly sure how to put on compassion or humility. Well, well, then just start here. Bear with one another. That means forbear. Just realize that we're all sinners here. Realize that nobody's exempt from that that we're all going to mess up, we've all messed up, and Christ died for us all. And so just put up with each other. Yeah, I know it's easier said than done. But if you could just remember these two words, bear with one another, forgive one another, bear and forgive. If you can just hang on to those, you'll be well on your way to actually putting on the clothes that Jesus has given you. Bear, put up with one another. And, because it's not just enough to put up with each other, forgive. Man, this is such a tall order. True forgiveness is so hard. It's an act of the will. It's selfless. It, It does embody compassion and kindness, and humility, and meekness, and patience. It embodies all of those things to say, I forgive you. To, to legitimately no longer hold that offense against the person. To actually lay it down. Now, that, that, that's not the end of the process. That's the beginning of the process. And I, I've come to fully believe that you can forgive before anybody asks for forgiveness. Now, you you may not be able to have good relationship with them until they do, but you, on your part, can say, I'm no longer going to hold that against them. You can forgive. Just as Christ has forgiven you. And if you've come to faith in Christ, you have been forgiven. And, and who are we who have offended the holiness of God and been forgiven and accepted and changed? Who are we to withhold that? 
we're all going to mess up. We all have the old sweatshirt at the back of the closet, and we, we're committed as members. We say, hey, we're committed to helping you clean out your closet. And, and we're all called to forgive. So when we're wearing the old sweatshirt and we punch you in the nose, you go, okay, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold that against you because I'm going to see you in Christ. I'm going to embrace that not only I have new identity in Christ, but that you have new identity in Christ. And I'm going to live it out. I'm going to live it out. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Man, we, we change into these new clothes. We change into bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And at the end of the day, if we just go, man, Jesus loves you, so I'm going to love you too. If we live into the reality that God loves us, one of my favorite passages is Romans 5. It says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Man, if you don't feel the love of God today, would you just ask him, hey, would you illuminate your love for me? That is a prayer that he longs to answer for you. And then, Father, in our loving relationship with one another, would you fill me up so much by your Spirit? Would you just pour your love into my heart in such a way that it overflows to everyone else? And love is like that glue that takes compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and holds it all together as well-made clothes that you can put on. Why? Why do we put things off? And why do we put things on? And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Unity. Unity's at stake at this. The, 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 the testimony that we have as a church to the world is at stake here. And God goes, man, I am, I am doing stuff. And it's making results. I did something 2,000 years ago. I started it. I'm bringing it to completion. Do you want to actively participate in that? I'm changing the world. Do you want to participate in that? And it's easy for us to say, yes, but my way. But God goes, you know what? You know what I did to help you out, to help you out of yourself? I made one body full of people that have different perspectives, that have different opinions, that have different habits, that have different backgrounds, that have different patterns in their lives, so that you have to work these things out. So that you get to practice. And isn't that what really helps us to stack blocks on top of each other? It's just practice. So God goes, I got you. I'm going to put you into a mess of people, and I'm going to be redeeming people that you never expected, and they're going to come into your church. 
And you're going to go, what? But he's going to go, you know what? It's one body. And I want you to be thankful for that. Have you ever thought about how crazy church is in terms of its diversity of people and ideas and things and just perspectives and gone, man, I'm so thankful for that. I have to work at that, honestly. You know, I wish I'd, uh, everybody just thought like me. That'd be great. It'd make it so much easier. And God goes, I know. But then you wouldn't, you wouldn't practice stacking these blocks on top of each other. You wouldn't be becoming more like Christ. You wouldn't have to trust me to work this out among the people and in your own heart. You wouldn't have to ask for help to put on these clothes. You'd just do it yourself. And it's such good news that God doesn't allow us to do that because we muck it up all the time. So God goes, my good plan is to get a bunch of crazy people together, to fill them with my spirit, to give them instructions, to invite them to actively participate in the results of what I'm doing. And the result is unity, which is a wonderful testimony to the world. So again today, just embracing and living out our identity in Christ. Putting off what Christ has changed in us. Putting on the clothes that he's given us as holy and beloved children of God. And as we do it, as we practice that, we just stack blocks better and better. We remind each other, we repent, we embrace, we live out so that as we grow in trust in the Lord, we're growing to be more trustworthy and trusting of one another. So here's a couple of things you might do this week. Would you just think about one story of Jesus that illustrates to you his compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, or patience? You can probably just do that on your ride home. Just be thinking about Sunday school stories about Jesus. Grab onto one and go, wow, how does this show me the compassion or kindness or humility or meekness or patience of Jesus? If you go, hey, I didn't grow up in Sunday school, that's okay. Open your Bible to the Gospels and literally just flop it open and see what's there because every story about Jesus will contain these things. And just grab onto one of those stories. And then would you just make a list for yourself, maybe in your quiet time this week, of ways that God has demonstrated his love for you in line with those traits of Christ? How has God shown you compassion? How has God shown you kindness? How has God shown you his humility? How, how has God borne with you through these years or forgiven you? Just, just make a list. Don't take a long time. It can be a short list, but make a list. And then alongside that list, would you just make a list of people that it's hard for you to love or to bear with and or to forgive? And would you just pray for that list? Um, maybe a couple of times this week, just to let that work on your heart. You know, if you want to do that every day, that'd be amazing. But I'd say do it more than once. Make that list and, and then just pray for those people. Pray that, that God would help you to love with them. Pray that God would help you to bear with them. Pray that God would help you forgive them. And then just follow the Spirit's leading as he prompts you to live that out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the awesome new clothes that you've given us.
Lord, every day we get to go to your closet and pick out clothes. And Father, I pray that we would know, hey, that's something that you did. You, you made us holy and beloved children in our salvation. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that's what you've done. And every day we have a new opportunity to actively participate in that. Give us the grace to do that. Father, speak to us as we think about stories of Jesus, as we ponder how you've shown us these things in our own lives. And then, Father, as we think about how we can show that to other people. Father, lead us by your Spirit toward the end that we would be unified. A wonderful testimony to the rest of the world of your glory and your goodness. In Christ's name, amen.